Thank you for listening in to this week's sermon from Restoration Church Bryan. To learn more about Restoration, you can find us online at restorationbryan.com. We are so grateful for all those who are able to listen online, and we pray the message encourages you and challenges you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you are not already connected to a local church, we would love to invite you to join us for worship. If you are listening from another city, we pray that this message is a great supplement to your walk with Christ, and our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. So if you got your Bibles, Acts chapter 2, and this morning we're, we're going to be talking about the, the particulars of Pentecost. What, what kind, this, is a, this is a rhetorical question, we will have some, uh, I, I will have you talking to your neighbor in a little bit. This is a rhetorical question, Th- think about what comes to your mind when you think of Pentecost. What comes to your mind when you think about Pentecost? See, Many, uh, if you're like me, many, many immediately think of, of some Pentecostal denominations. Sixteen years ago, as a youth pastor, our, uh, our church secretary was actually a, a member of a oneness uh, Pentecostal church in my town. And, and we, we had a, we had a great relationship, right? We still, we still do to this day, uh, though, uh, though I will say this, she has long since left the denomination and I would argue has grown tremendously in her faith since. But I, I remember, I remember doing, uh, studying up on, on some of the tenets of, of oneness, Pentecostalism and, and uh, a few things uh, they, they they deny a, a triune God. Uh, never mind the fact that uh, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were present at Jesus' baptism. We'll just we'll just leave that right there. They they teach that that water baptism is absolutely necessary for salvation. Uh, they also say that that uh, speaking in tongues is the sign. It is the sign of the Holy Spirit and, and your, your salvation. Uh, and, and Oneness Pentecostals also, they, they don't hold to the security of the believer, teaching that, uh, teaching that it, it's possible to, to lose your salvation. And so needless to say, yeah, there, there were probably like many straight-laced little Baptist kids like me who, who grew up thinking that, that like Pentecostal was a dirty word, right? And, and so here, here, this morning, here's what I want to tell you. The, the 12 apostles uh, were actually Pentecostal, okay? But hang with me. See, there was like some awkward laughter right there, okay? Um, but just like they were the original uh, 12th man, uh, these guys were actually the original, like the OG Pentecostals. Uh, the thing is, if, if we're going to get to the bottom of what happened at, at Pentecost and here in Acts chapter 2, We've got to pay attention to the details. We got to, we've got to pay attention to the, the particulars and, and, and understand that the context, uh, the language, and the text uh, itself have got to be our, our guide. And, and I, don't, I, don't, I don't pretend to know where you are this morning. I, I, really, I really don't. Maybe, maybe you're afraid of the Holy Spirit because you grew up in a, in a, in a conservative uh, church. Maybe 
Maybe you grew up Pentecostal and you're like horribly offended at what I just said. Uh, maybe, and this I think is probably the reality for, for many of us, if not most, I, I think many of us are probably somewhere in between. We're somewhere in between. We're, we're hungry uh, for, for, uh, to know more of the Spirit, but, but cautious due to sort of the, the hokey and the heretical things that have been said and done in His name. Maybe that's, uh, maybe that's you. I, I don't know. Maybe you're brand new to Christianity and like all of this is just Greek to you. Um, and, and, and that's okay. Wherever, wherever you are, uh, my hope is that, is that you walk away from this text today with a clear understanding of the, of the Spirit of God. Amen? And, and, and make no mistake, He is not tame. Can I get an amen on that? He is not tame. And, and the Spirit of God will not be tamed or, or put in our man-made boxes, but the Spirit of God will always move in alignment with the Word of God for the purpose of glorifying and proclaiming the Son of God. Amen, church? And so... Uh, the, the first thing I want to look at, I want to look at verses 1 through 4. And, and the first point I want to make this morning is, is simply this. If you follow along in your bulletins on that right hand side, the Spirit of God wants all of us. The Spirit of God wants all of us. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, He wants all of you. <laughs> look at your other neighbor and say, He wants all of you. As you look at verses 1 through 4, it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all <clears throat> filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. See, the, the, the day on the day, the Pentecost itself uh, it literally just means 50th. This was 50 days after the Passover. Uh, Constable says this, the day of Pentecost was an annual spring feast. Uh, another name for this feast was the Feast of Weeks at which the Jews presented the first fruits of their wheat harvest to God. goes all the way back to the times of the Exodus in Exodus 34. But, but here, here's what I, I want you to, to, to understand and get this picture of what's happening. What a cool thought that, that Ephesians 1 refers to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, as our down payment and the guarantee of our inheritance. So, so get this picture. Just as Israel would give their first fruits to God at the Feast of Weeks, God was giving His Holy Spirit, He was giving the Spirit as His first fruits to the believers at the launch of the church. Amen? Kind of a cool thing. And so Pentecost was one of uh, three Jewish pilgrimage feasts to Jerusalem that took place every year. So we, we see this, but, but Jews, they would have traveled from all parts of the globe to be there in Jerusalem. And, and like, it's, it's kind of crazy. It's almost like God planned this or something. Just, just saying. The 10 days of waiting ha had been for a reason. It had been for a reason. See, 10 days earlier, the, the crowds would not have been, they wouldn't have been in the city. 
And in light of Acts 1.8, the, the blueprint, right? In light of Acts 1.8, you're going to be my witnesses, right? The, 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 the power of the Spirit's going to come on you. You're going to be my witnesses in, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. In light of that blueprint, right, <clears throat> for what was to come, it just shows God was sovereign over the timing, the perfect timing of this powerful sort of missional movement. And, and, and so verse one says that they were all together in one place. It, it's again, it's impossible to know with with absolute certainty. I tend to believe that this was the same upper room in Acts one, the same upper room from the Gospels where the disciples, the apostles had previously gathered. And, and then you get to verse two and in and, 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 and verse three, and it, it talks about wind and it talks about fire. And, and, and it's like this. Uh, listen, we, we've got an incredible uh, RCB media team. Uh, Jacob does a great job woo, for that, leading these guys. But but let me tell you this. Even these guys could not recreate the audio visual experience of Acts chapter two. They might try. Uh, it, it, it would be it would be pretty pretty hard verse 2 talks about the this this wind says the text tells us that there, if you if you look at verse 2 <clears throat> the sound was like was like a mighty rushing wind though 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 not an actual wind the sound of wind filled the room and throughout the scripture we we see the activity uh, of, of the spirit of god was likened to breath and wind in, in the hebrew it's this word ruah in, in, in the greek it was this word pneuma and, and both were were used for the holy spirit ff F. bruce says that when ezekiel by by divine command y'all remember this story church from ezekiel by demi, divine command he prophesied to the wind and he called it to blow on the dead bodies in the valley of vision and it's an incredible story but it was the breath of god that breathed into them and, and filled them with this new life it was the breath of god it was the spirit of god so there would have been no doubt among faithful israelites wind was symbolic of the movement of god they would have known that God was present. Uh, and then in verse 3, you, you have this mention of fire, these tongues of fire, and we're going to talk about them more in a moment. But listen, John the Baptist had prophesied about this. If, if you go back to Luke 3, 16 and 17, John the Baptist, he, he spoke about this moment. He had even used the imagery of fire connected with the baptism. And, and though often, often, in Scripture, fire was associated with judgment. Listen, at least in, in, in this case, case the, the, the good news of the gospel was that the judgment of God in Christ was being delayed. It was being delayed and Christ was coming on the scene and He was offering this free gift of grace and mercy and salvation. No, see, just, just like God had revealed himself in, in, in Exodus 3 to Moses in the burning bush, right? And, and, and the, the bush was not consumed, but God showed up in the fire. And just like later in Exodus, he, 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 would, he led Israel, right, through a, a, a pillar. Uh, there, there was a cloud by day and then a, a, a pillar, a cloud of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night. I, I tend to believe that fire here signified his presence, among his people that fire fell and God was present among his people 
But it's important too to pay attention to the wording at the end of verse 3. Look, look at verse 3, church. It says this. It says, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, each one. Says each one. That's that's an important that's an important statement. See, as the fire fell, it it dispersed and it divided to rest on each believer present. Now, now, don't get it twisted. Listen, in the New Testament, the the church community, right, the corporate community, it's never downplayed. It's it's never d- diminished. But there is this special emphasis on the personal faith of every individual believer. The necessity of personal repentance, of faith and obedience. The the heart change, listen, this heart change at an individual level, it's impossible without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. We've we've talked about that. Uh, but, But... and it's really connected back to even prophecies from Jeremiah and Ezekiel. F.F. Bruce says it like this. Being filled with the, with the Spirit was an experience to be repeated on several occasions. Let me, let, me, let, me say, let me be clear. Being filled with the Spirit was an experience to be repeated on several occasions. But the baptism of the Spirit was an experience... Was, was uh, the, the baptism in the Spirit which the believing community now experienced was an event which took place once for all, says F.F. F. Bruce. So, so the baptism of the Spirit was this one-time event. Can I get an amen on that? It's a one-time experience. But this idea of being filled with the Spirit of God would, would remain a, a, a prom- a, like this predominant thing through, through, theme throughout the book of Acts. We see this in Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Peter's filled with the, with the Spirit of God. In Acts 6, 5, Stephen is, is filled with the Spirit of God. Right? Uh, in eleven twenty four, Barnabas is, is filled with the Spirit of God. In thirteen nine, Paul is filled with the Spirit of God. Later in thirteen fifty two, it says all the disciples were filled filled with the Holy Spirit and to be filled carries with it this this idea of control, this idea of not only control, but enablement, the spirit of God. Listen, church needed complete control. And because of the importance of the mission that lay ahead, there could be no divided allegiance. And the apostles, listen, the apostles and those with them that day, they were baptized and they, they were also filled with the Spirit of God at Pentecost. <clears throat> Some of you know kind of my, my journey, but, but I, I think maybe the most profound experience that, that I, I ever had uh, with the, the the Holy Spirit took place in in Kiev, Ukraine, for me at, at this missionary lodge, and, and and it was the summer before my senior year at A and M. I don't know if we got any any seniors in in the house. Um, whoop for that, freshmen, sophomores, keep your whoops to yourself. But already, listen, God had already begun to to stir in me. This 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 work of, of renewal and, and revival in, in uh, the previous year. And, and there were <clears throat> there were definitely still 
21-year-old struggles going on, but my hunger for the Word was, was very real. And I had gotten more and more plugged in to Central. Uh, I was serving, Bible study, all of it. But it wasn't until the end of a week and a half of leading worship, of serving, of, of sharing the gospel, working with kids, and really unplugging from American culture, that I came face to face with a God who, hear me, wanted all of me. He wanted all of me. And maybe I didn't see the face of God, but as our, listen, as our team debriefed uh, and, and shared and worshiped, I, I remember walking down the aisle to, to this, this wooden altar, right? And honestly, uh, it, it felt like time stood still. And I, I wept and I confessed sin. And, and, and here's the thing, I confessed that my college experience up to that point and my future plans was my agenda and not God's. And that night at that altar in Kiev, Ukraine, the Spirit of God got a hold of me in a way that He never had. That He never had. And there was a surrender that, that, hadn't, that took place that hadn't previously taken place. That's, that's not to say that there haven't been other moments of surrender along the way, but that night set my life on a different trajectory. Here, here's what I want to tell you. There, there's no doubt in my mind when I was a child, when I was a kid coming up in, 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 in the, the little, my little hometown church, that when I trusted Jesus at eight, eight years old, that the Spirit of God, that I was baptized in the Spirit of God, that the Spirit of God came and indwelled me at that point. But what I didn't fully understand until much later is that from the moment, listen, the, from the moment the Spirit seals and, and abides, the Spirit wants control. Amen? The Spirit wants control. The question is, does the Spirit have control of your life? Does the Spirit of God have control of your life? Does He, does he have all of you? Second thing this morning is this. As we, as we look at verses 4 through 11. So these tongues of fire fall. And in verse 5, it says there were Jews. They were dwelling in Jerusalem. Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. In the sound, the multitude, at, at the sound, the multitude came together. They were be bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Second thing that I want to say this morning is that the sign of the Spirit is gospel speech. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, gospel speech. Y'all are getting lots of practice today. Look at your other neighbor and say, gospel speech. The sign of the Spirit, man, it's gospel speech. Says they they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And again, you you had this unique situation because of the feast where Jews who who were dispersed all over the world were together in the city. And, and now personally, I, I tend to think that though the Spirit of God fell in a house, that that these guys like once the Spirit fell, they got outside, right? They got outside the house. 
They went into the city, uh, maybe, maybe perhaps even to the court, the very courtyards of the temple where worshipers would have been gathered. But it's important to connect this filling of the Spirit with the remaining events of Acts chapter 2. In fact, uh, Frederick Harm said this, Luke always connects the filling of the Spirit with the proclamation of the Gospel in Acts. Those who are full of the Spirit are always those who are faithfully fulfilling their anointed task as proclaimers. Always. Now, church fam, we, we here, see, this is where we get to some Pentecost particulars, right? And, and it's important that we, we pay close attention to these and, and, and to what's going on in the text. We, we always, always do this, but we've got to do it with Acts. We read Acts in light of the entirety of the New Testament. We read Acts in light of all of Paul's let New Testament letters. Verse 3 mentions these tongues of fire that fell on the disciples. Uh, verse 4 tells us that they all began to speak in other tongues. But before we talk about tongues and, and in the context of Acts, here's a particular to pay attention to. Tongues is not the sign of the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? It is not the sign of the Spirit of God. There are a number of gifts that the Spirit gives. And, and, and straight up, listen, in, in, in Paul's writings, the, 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 the spiritual gift of tongues is usually at the bottom of the list. And so it's not the sign and the other thing, furthermore, what becomes very apparent in Acts 2 at Pentecost is that this, this gift of tongues was the supernatural ability to communicate the gospel in known languages. And in verse 6 and in verse 8, it uses this word languages. In the Greek, it's the word dialectos, where we get our word dialect from. And so... Verses 6 through 8 reveals that these, these Jews from abroad heard these uneducated country bumpkin Galileans speaking, not, not Aramaic, not even, not even Greek, but the native languages of their homeland. In church, contextually, again, this, this makes perfect sense with the mandate from Acts 1.8 that the gospel, listen, the need, there was this need to move the gospel from, from this Jewish core to having the gospel explode outward to the nations. And, and, and David Peterson says this, the other tongues on this occasion were intelligible languages different from the disciples' own language. Daryl Box says, though this one-step understanding differs from the description in 1 Corinthians where there are two steps, utterance and interpretation, uh, that, that are required for understanding, there is no doubt in Acts 2 that distinct foreign language is in view. It's in the text. It's right there. Galilee, listen, Galileans were not known for being the sharpest tools in the shed. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying. Um, and, and in fact, one commentator, uh, like in the, and, and, and I know like Duck Dynasty has like already like had its turn, right? It's gone. Like I, some of y'all may not know what it is, but one commentator said it would be, it's, it'd be similar to like Uncle Cy 
from Duck Dynasty with his like green cup, plastic cup. I've got an Uncle Cy cup. Suddenly speaking flawless Mandarin to like a group, like in proclaiming the gospel to a group of Chinese ambassadors and diplomats. Like if you can get that picture of Uncle Cy, like you just got the picture of what happened here in Acts 2. That's it. And so, listen, church, former fishermen were suddenly linguistic experts that day with perfect command of most of the key languages spoken throughout the known world. And when it was all said and done, we're going to see later in Acts 2, 3,000 people would trust Jesus that day. 3,000 people came to faith as the church exploded onto the scene. So make no mistakes. The tongues were declaring what God had accomplished through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Amen? In that day, the, the, the world was getting this kingdom kind of foretaste of Revelation 7, right? Every nation, every tribe, every tongue gathered around the throne worshiping Jesus. So as they looked around, I know John hadn't prophesied that yet, but listen, it was happening. They were getting a taste. And, and listen, I... I read I read this article last week. I, I sent it to the other elders called, entitled are, are, are you are you more religious than Jesus was the title of the article. And in it, the, the, the author, the writer of the article speaks about how how people from his church set up shop to reach people at this like psychic fair, which kind of on its own is a cool, like it's a cool idea. But, but the thing is that, that that would have been cool, but uh, the, the author goes on to say how, how cool it was that they didn't even have to say Jesus or, or God or the Holy Spirit, right? Like how convenient. And they called, they called on the Spirit of creation, um, and, and they offered to do like spirit reading for folks. And again, this is a church, right? They, they shook and they, they, they waved maracas over people while banging on bongos and chanting for, for the spirit of creation to fall. And, and, and in, the, in the article, this dude, he, he's almost, he's bragging about, he's, he's bragging that they didn't even have to be quote unquote religious, right? They didn't have to be religious, but apparently religious to him means using the name of Jesus and clearly communicating the gospel. Apparently, that's what religious means to, to some folks. And I would just say, Acts 4 says this in verses 10 and 12. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel by the, by the name of Jesus, of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead by this man, this, this, by him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Verse 12 of Acts 4. And there is no other name. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. RCB fam, listen. The, the sign of the Spirit is gospel speech. 
It's gospel speech. Listen, there, there are spiritual, we forget this. There are spiritual forces at work in this world in counterfeit spirits who will gladly show off for us. Gladly give us all the manifestations we want as long as the name of Jesus isn't being used. As long as Christ crucified for sin and risen from the dead and victorious isn't being proclaimed clearly. But where the Spirit of the Lord is, man, there's gospel speech. There's gospel speech. Third thing this morning is this. And this is sort of the great equalize. This is the thing that brings it all together and I think should cause all of us to step back. The Spirit will not conform to our expectations. Amen? Look at your neighbor and say, He won't conform. <laughs> Look at your other neighbor and say, He won't conform. <laughs> the Spirit's not going to conform to your expectations. Right? I mean, the, the irony, like how many, <laughs> how many supposed manifestations of the Holy Spirit today are, are people like barking like dogs, Yelling, speaking incoherently, writhing around, convulsing. Contrast that with the picture of the Spirit falling at Pentecost. Like when the Spirit of God came, people spoke a coherent word in a known language to communicate the gospel of Jesus to others. See, Bethel's Bill Johnson says the spirit will offend the mind, offend the mind to reveal the heart. But listen, Jesus said in John 4 that we worship in spirit and in truth. Scripture calls us to love God with our heart, soul, mind and strength. And I know we get those things out of balance. But listen, the, one of the hallmarks of a cult is asking you to let go of your mind. Just saying. We love God with our head, with our heart, with our habits. But here's the thing. It would be easy for me to, to stand up here and, and pick apart some of the terrible theology and, and blatant misuses of the Spirit by, by some charismatic churches. But this passage should also shake up some of my conservative, like, Keep it close to the vest, right? Holy Spirit light, <laughs> brothers and sisters. It should shake us up too. And if you come from a tradition that, that, that either didn't talk about the Holy Spirit really very much at all, or, or maybe a, a tradition, a church tradition that had the Spirit of God in a, in a nice little comfortable box where His activity was always easily explainable, you may want to pay closer attention to this text. Because verse 6, look at some of the words in verse 6 and 7 and 12 and 13. Verse 6 says, as the crowd came together, they were bewildered. In the Greek, it's, this, it's to be dismayed, right? Not, not like there's, there's like a little fear in that, right? To be confounded. Verse 7 says, they were amazed, which means to be astounded, to be practically overwhelmed. Verse 7 says, they were astonished, which means to, to wonder or to marvel. And then verse 12, check, look at verse 12, check this out. Verse 12 uses the word 
perplexed. To be perplexed is to be confused. Literally, it's to not know what to do. (laughs) That's what perplexed means. Church, here's my point. Most churches would be hard-pressed to use the same, these same descriptive words of the Spirit's activity in their local congregations and worship gatherings. We'd be hard-pressed to use some of these descriptive words. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not, I'm not telling you to blindly accept the, the hokey and the ridiculous. Knowing, listen, knowing that Satan is not only the father, like, like the author of confusion, but also the, the father of lies, usually sort of manifesting, masquerading themselves as half-truths. We, we can't flippantly like, and casually accept every bewildering, astonishing, amazing, or perplexing spiritual event or manifestation or movement as, well, clearly this is obviously from the Spirit of God. There's no wisdom in that. Let's be, right, let's be rooted in the Word of God. Let's understand how the Spirit of God moved in Scripture because that's how He'll operate today. Let's, let's above all make sure that Jesus is being exalted. But, man, let's stop pretending like the Spirit is tame. Right? Let, let's stop pretending that we have everything figured out about the Holy Spirit. Amen? See, when the Spirit of God is at work, there, listen, there, there will at times be things that you don't understand. There, there can be miraculous, powerful things going on that, that stretch us way outside of our comfort zones. The Holy Spirit will, will not always conform to our expectations, but hear me, the Spirit of God will always conform us to the character of Jesus Christ and drive us to proclaim Christ crucified and raised. I'll, I'll, close, I'll close with this this morning. As I, as I thought about the response in, of, of the people in, in Acts 2 and, and as, I, as I thought about our response to this this morning, <laughs> I've thought about that there's, there's this crazy thing that happens in John 11 where, where Jesus, after raising Lazarus from the dead, right? They're like, don't go in there. It probably stinks. Jesus, you may just back away from the tomb. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And dude gets up, takes his grave clothes off, and he's alive. In verse 45 of John 11 says, Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and seen what he did, believed. Right? They believed. But then verse 46, and this is shocking, says some of them went to the Pharisees and told, they told what Jesus had done. (laughs) They told them what Jesus had done. It's shocking to see that for some their response to the miracle was to go and tattle on Jesus. Like, talk about missing the point. They, they saw the power of God and they watched a dead man come to life and they missed it. They completely missed it. 
in church, like there, there's so much more that I want to dig into. There's so much more I, I want to say with this passage. I, I want to I break down some of the differences between charismatic and non-charismatic theology. Like I, I want to talk about the, the, what the significance of these tongues would be to, to, to those in Israel in light of, of Isaiah 28.11 and, and, and some of these other prophecies from the Old Testament. I, I want to talk about more about how we can't have revisionist history when it comes to Acts 2 and the Pentecost event. But here, listen, mostly, this this is what I want to tell you. Look at the great lengths to which God went to communicate the good news of the gospel to the world. Look at the great lengths. Look at the gospel already going to the nations to Israel, to Egypt, to Iran, Iraq, to Asia, Rome, and beyond. Look, look at God's love for us on display. Look at His power on display to bring spiritually dead and lost people to life. See, the worst thing you could do today is get wrapped up in a theology of the Spirit of God while missing the good news of the Son of God. That would be a huge miss for us. See, this was all for the glory of God in Christ. This was all so that others might know and follow Jesus and be changed from the inside out by a relationship with Him. Man, do you want that? Do you want a relationship with Jesus? See, there's no point in talking about the particulars of Pentecost if you don't know the Prince of Peace. No point. It's important. But listen, the main thing is to know Christ. To know Christ crucified and raised. See, don't don't miss the miracle of Pentecost. The power of God was for the purpose of bringing life. Do you have life in Jesus Christ? Y'all pray with me this morning.